Welcome to the Magic Hour podcast, where we create an intentional space to let our curiosity drive a conversation with industry professionals about marketing, entrepreneurship, inclusion, and socially conscious topics. We are grateful to be hosting this podcast on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples. I'm your host, Hope Michael, from Unicorn Marketing Co. Let's make some magic. Today, I'm chatting with Miranda Sam, the founder of Shortlisted. A bit of background info here, Miranda is the 5-1 founder of Shortlisted, a clothing brand for short women who are short on time. Shortlisted aims to support women through three amazing ways, petite fit, practical functionality, and removing the daily burden of what should I wear today through coordinated sets and capsule collections. Miranda has worked as a fashion marketer, retail manager, and a fashion journalist. And now she's proud to be a marketer turned small business owner who gave birth to two beautiful daughters while building this brand. Let's meet Miranda. So welcome, Miranda. Hi. Hi, Hope. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. I'm so excited to chat today. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited to hear everything. (laughs) (laughs) You have so much going on. I do. I do. And I'm so happy to answer anything. So yeah, let me know what you like to chat about in. <laughs> I know that you started your journey during the pandemic and I would love to hear about your own background and a little bit about shortlisted give us a brief overview for sure yeah I mean if we like dialed it back way back when and when I was a kid I was always obsessed with clothes and shopping and kind of came from like an unhealthy place like you know you have to fit in you have to look a certain way and in the media we only saw images of certain types of models so it was just always like a feeling of never good enough and I have to try to fit in and do my best and be perfect that kind of thing so that was the obsession with clothes and shopping and I've always wanted to have my own brand and I worked in fashion for about 10 to 15 years in various roles like fashion marketing freelance journalism I've written for the Georgia Strait Monte Cristo Daily Hive, like a whole bunch of local publications. So I've been in in and out of the industry for a while, always wanted my own brand, but really didn't know what kind of brand. And so it was the pandemic that really fueled and was the catalyst to get me (laughs) to start seriously thinking about this. And I thought about all these different things I could do. And at that point, I had just had my first daughter. And I thought, well, maybe baby clothes, but, you know, she was growing faster than I could get things launched. (laughs) So when I really thought about it, I was like, you know what? There's no one really focusing on short women. And having grown up in the fashion industry, it was always just the norm to get clothes altered. So we would get our free clothes for the season and it was just normal to get things altered. And you didn't really like even think otherwise. But then after a while, I'm like, well, why can't I make clothes that fit me? And at that point, just around pre-pandemic, the conversation around plus size bodies was getting traction and body inclusivity. And I thought like, oh my goodness, like I've never seen like a larger person look good because we've never seen that in the media. It was, the idea was always that like, if you're not skinny, you don't look good. And for me, it was like, if you're not tall, you don't look good. So that's when I realized like, oh, I can make clothes for myself. And I started that journey. So it's been quite a few years now. I've gone through a lot of different, like, trying to do product development and putting in the branding together, like all these different aspects. And finally, I am close to launching. So yeah, that's how I came to realizing it's short women that I want to serve. There's such a big pain point out there because 50% of Canadians, Americans, and British women are 5'4 and under, if not 5'3 and under. So it's really? a huge market out there. We're just like literally overlooked. I think it's really fascinating to touch in on that pain point and create a really wonderful solution for people who are clearly looking for this. It's going to it's gonna be so popular, I'm sure. I'm so excited for you. You're Thank like you. on the precipice of something very amazing. Um, how is this process of building shortlisted? I know you're currently in the close to launch phase. And so what is it like bringing all of this to life? 
That's a great question. It's been such a roller coaster. I have a friend in New York and she has had her own line for a while. And I remember her telling me, oh, it took me two years to source everything. And I'm thinking, that's an incredibly long time. You must work very slow, like just very judgmental <laughs> thoughts, right? But then when it came to me, like one year passed by, another year passed by, I'm like, oh no, I've like basically doubled her process. So it's been quite a few years since pandemic hit, right? But, it feels um, like last year. It doesn't feel it does. like there's time been now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, f- since pandemic till now, it's been one thing after another, right? Like I had to figure out what the brand was about and figuring out like, okay, brand hierarchy wise, what's most important to me? Like, is mm-hmm. it body inclusivity? Is it trying to help women reduce their mental load? Is it this or is it that? And I've had quite a few mentors over the years. One like launched to six figures from Kickstarter. One does slow fashion. So like drastically different launch strategies. And a lot of their advice, because they don't come from fashion themselves, their advice was like, just go hire a pattern maker, just go hire a sample sewer, draw something. You don't need to be good at fashion illustration. So like it it (laughs) sounded very easy. So I was like, cool, I'm going to do that because my background is in marketing. I'll just put all those pieces together. But I realized like there was something that was so missing from the soul And I guess it's something that I've always wanted to do as well, but just never got around to doing it because I'm not technically inclined and I don't work with my hands as much as I love working with ideas and concepts. Mm. So learning how to sew was a big thing. So the process, it's huge, right? (laughs) There's so much to learn. So the process was to hire all these people, but the problem is trying to find all these people that work well have the availability for you are interested in your brand even though we have like a lot of big international apparel brands in vancouver it was hard to find the right people so i hired a few people it didn't quite work out and then went back to my mentor and she said well really it's about you putting all these pieces together and just trying once more like you basically have to you can't figure out by interviewing someone you just have to try it out I'm like I don't have like tens of thousands of dollars to try different people out no it's expensive (laughs) yeah and I just got so frustrated I'm like I couldn't communicate as well so it wasn't just them I couldn't communicate they asked me do you need four or five thread surge I'm like I don't know do you want this kind of like how why do you want the stitches I'm like I have no idea so a business coach advised me like why don't you just like try to learn how to sew on the side so I did. I took a few classes, learned how to make a dress shirt within six classes, which Mm. was incredible. That instructor was incredible. And I felt like it wasn't enough. So I learned the whole process within a year. I learned how to sew industrial style, which means how you sew super efficiently in a factory, not like DIY home sewing. It's like very different processes. Oh, I believe it. Like that. Yeah. Like there's all these tips and tricks I had no idea. So I learned how to do that. And then I got measurements before on real women. So I made pattern blocks based on real short women's measurements. And then I drafted, learned how to do pattern drafting, which is basically translating your 2D ideas into like 3D pattern pieces and sewing it. So I did that, did like a little mini collection, learned how to grade, which is taking your base size and making the sizes larger or smaller. Okay. And then also to make my own tech packs, technical packages, which are basically the blueprint that the factory needs to create the garments. It tells them where to sew, how long or short things are, where to place certain um, labels, things like that. So I learned that whole process within a year. And that was with me being pregnant. So Holy moly. That's yeah. like a lot of information, a lot of really interesting technical things. And then like let's just like jam pack it into a really short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. It's amazing. You have a great determination to keep pushing forward. And I really admire that. Oh thank you. Thanks for your kind words. Yeah. So I mean that was last year and this will this year after I had my second daughter. So yeah. I joke, I'm like, oh my God, I've had like two kids and my business still hasn't been birthed yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, business baby. Yeah. yeah, so after my second daughter was born in March, I've just been putting the other last minute pieces together. So, you know, figuring out like the fit mm-hmm. and then starting to 
get to markets and things like that, just testing it out to see how people have been responding. Right now I'm in the grading process to hopefully, you know, I'll get the plus size right as well. I'm not sure if I'm going to be launching with a massive plus size, but at least doing it to see, uh, see if there's a demand for it. And also the website's underway. So just getting all these like last pieces together, ready for a launch. Very exciting. How did you come up with the name shortlisted? I'm very curious. Oh, yeah. So my process for naming people, i.e. my kids <laughs> and my business and like former projects that I've had, like I just kind of idea dump. So I'll just like put everything onto a page. And with my daughter, it had like 10 different criteria. So really, it came down to like one name. And we didn't know the sex. So if she was a boy, I was going to be like screwed. <laughs> so somehow with like the business, I kept dumping. And usually I find something in a long list, but mm-hmm. I couldn't figure anything out. So I have this friend who she's like my creative friend. And mm-hmm. so it just like we went out one night, got a bowl of wine. And like, seriously, within five minutes of that glass of wine, she's like, ha, 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 how about shortlisted? I'm like, oh my God, you are a genius. How did that come <laughs> to you? But it turns out that like, she used to be an actress and a model. So she'd always kind of like be shortlisted for things, but never mm-hmm. make it through because I don't think she was quite tall enough to be like a runway model. But when I looked at it, I didn't see it as a bad thing. I thought like, oh, you know, because the word short has so many negative connotations, like you're being short changed, you've got a short fuse, mm-hmm. right? But being shortlisted is like one of the few things that's not just neutral, it has a very positive meaning. I'm like, you know what, that is how we need to see ourselves as short women. Like, we need to see that we are so unique. Well, not unique, because we're actually the average height, but like, you know, there's so <laughs> benefits of being short. And like that, we shouldn't have that as like something that hangs over our head that like makes us feel less than as a leader because you know Mm. everyone looks like literally looks up to tall leaders but for a woman you're like okay well no one's like you know you see me differently but we shouldn't use that as something that clouds our judgment so I want women to feel empowered you know within their own personal power that they can do a lot of things and they are good enough to Mm. win awards and be shortlisted for things so But in a nutshell, it was a glass of wine. (laughs) I love that story. It's so amazing. I have to say, you're saying, oh, I went and hung out with my creative friend, but you're creative too. And I hope that it's just in different ways that your creativity shines. Of course. I think creativity is one of those things where, yeah, there's so many different areas that you can jump into and you are very talented in so many different areas. So Oh, thank Don't you. cut yourself short. <laughs> See, that's yeah. another one, right? <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I really did it. Oh my goodness. I like the idea of putting a, a new connotation to the word short in your brand. I think that's yeah. really great. So cool. Society talks about body inclusivity a lot. I think it's definitely more prominent, as you said, plus size and being plus size is much more open. And we see lots of people talking about it on Instagram. And as your niche is height inclusivity, this is something I'm not hearing about. In fact, I hadn't heard about it until you brought this topic forward. So you did touch a little bit, but can you dive more into this, this context and how and why and why is society not talking about this? Yeah, thank you so much for asking me this. I think it's because there's still a stigma. Like I mentioned, like with height, there's this like power dynamic, right? Mm Because you can be tall and you can be plus size and you probably are still like looked up to, seen more as a leader than if you were like short, right? So yeah, like there's a lot of celebrities that will be super vocal about being plus size. You know, like people will say like, oh yeah, I'm like the first plus size model going down the runway for this and that. You know, Old Navy had a gigantic plus size campaign a couple of years ago, but no one's coming out and saying like, hey, I'm short and I'm awesome. Look at me. Yeah. Where is that? Right? Like (laughs) some of the most famous people right now, Kim Kardashian, Ariana, back in the day, Christina Aguilera got a lot of like, oh, look how tiny she is. And look at this big voice. But that was about it. Like she never really talked about it. Shakira is one of my like favorites. Amazing. Yeah. No one talks about their height. So in (laughs) fact, like you try to always 
have the illusion of being taller, right? Like we always have to have these workarounds to try to fit in like, oh, wear nude heels and you look like you extend your leg. It's true. That's great. But like, we shouldn't have to do that all the time. No. Like, it's an extra thing to do. We have to put yeah. on makeup. We have to look presentable and we have to look taller, right? There's enough that we already have to do as people who identify as female or who really want to. Yes. one other thing to think about (laughs) so it's just like a stigma that's not even top of minds I think it's just so embedded and invisible that it's not like if you don't put words to it like if you don't Mm -hmm. have terms for it like height inclusivity you don't really think it's a problem so because Mm. no one's talked about it no one's mentioned it and it's not a problem that people set out to solve I watched this shark tank episode where one of the sharks damon john he was in front of a group that was pitching like clothes for shorter men and then they identified him as a shorter man and he didn't like he couldn't acknowledge it like i think for like five nine or something and below okay and he completely was like no that's not me that's not me like People don't even really acknowledge it's an issue and they don't want to, you know, even if they do, it's, it's a painful, it's like, so that's why it's not talked about, but I feel like the conversation needs to change. If we're going to talk about body inclusivity, height is part of it. So I really, really would like to open up this dialogue. And what's interesting is that not too long ago, I had this post on my Instagram and I talked about like, oh, this height tax that short women have to face, mm. which is like, you know, getting things altered. You have to spend money um, and time bringing it to the alterations, getting it altered, picking it back up, doing online shopping. Oh my goodness, it doesn't fit. I have to order three things. Well, two of them don't fit or maybe even all three of them don't fit. Then you have to return them. Like all of this yeah. is time you could have been using mm-hmm. to self-promote you know spend time with your kids like it's just like taxed away from us so I talked about that and but what's interesting is that you know I'm not like I don't have a big social media following and the engagement is like super high right now but what I found is like other petite brands were commenting and saying like Mm -hmm. oh my goodness like you know you're so vocal thanks so much for saying that but I'm thinking you're a petite clothing brand too. You yeah. can just as well talk about these things. Join the conversation. Yeah, join the conversation, please. Like, let's get this rolling because we don't yeah. have to stick to like, oh, just styling for petites. And, you know, uh, these are petite celebrities, which they don't even acknowledge that they're short. Like, so why are we, <laughs> like, we should be calling them out rather than like giving them praise yeah. for being short. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so like, there's a lot that needs to be changed and I totally encourage other brands and like, I would love to see way more petite brands because if we have so many brands for regular height people and like so many niche things like specific things for regular height people like activewear and like lingerie Mm. and just business clothes and stuff like why can't we have all those things but for different categories of people and not just short people but like you know people with wider hips like our pear shape like there's just so many different aspects that you can go into this there's so many and I have a question kind of onto that is why do you think that companies aren't talking about it is it just because again it's going back to the stigma because it's hard to do it's hard to break into that space and have these conversations why is it being missed I think like one yes it's definitely the stigma and it's like not top of mind for anyone let alone Mm -hmm. someone who isn't short in an executive role in a company but Mm. also the inroads that companies have made like old navy to do the body positivity campaign because they didn't give it a lot of chance they pulled it like within a year so what that is showing the rest of the fashion industry is like okay just stick to what's regular sticks to what sells and don't yeah don't take risks and just if you do just leave it online don't put it in stores because Old Navy, Banana, and Gap, they pulled all their, basically their petite and plus size from stores. So now, granted, most people shop online anyways, but if mm-hmm. you want to try things on, you can't. You have to go through mm-hmm. an online shipping process. So I think it's like a big, you know, profit-driven type of thing. And having gone through this process myself so far, I totally get it. Before I was like, oh my God, you can just do plus size for everything. But when you do plus size, so I'm not sure if you ever noticed, but sizing for straight sizes, it goes up to large, extra large, double X large. And then mm-hmm. from plus, it kind of sounds like it overlaps. 
it's 1x, which sounds like extra large, mm-hmm. 2x, which sounds like double extra large. But the size is different. It's basically like wider, right? In the bust, mm-hmm. knees, and hips. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a straight grade. It's basically a different set of patterns you have to do or like a you have oh, to change the grade it. at some point. I don't so, understand the technical side of it, but <laughs> who wears 1X, 2X, depending on the brand. So I'm grateful to have those opportunities for sure. But I can imagine it's a lot of extra planning and work. And as you said, extra patterns as well. Yeah. So it's like kind of like a different size and you have to carry more SKUs, which everyone in the industry that I've come across so far, they always encourage you to carry fewer SKUs. So Mm -hmm. I've gotten from like five down to three, like just carry small, medium, large. I'm like, I don't think that's going to (laughs) work nowadays. So why, why are you hearing that choice to reduce your amount of SKUs? Just because like it's a profitability thing. That's just traditionally what's been that's worked for the industry you know you want to have quick turnover the idea is to have like fast fashion way more designs fewer size options right so if you're going to go with fewer styles and way more size options you're kind of going like 180 against what's profitable what's like what people know that works Mm. so that's why there's this like big push this big pushback I should say yeah so and I get it like there's a lot more fabric that needs to be used. I think as a consumer, I used to think like, well, why should I pay more for a bigger size, right? But because a roll of fabric is only so wide, the way you lay something out after a while is not going to fit for a small versus a two, three X. So you actually have to use a lot more yardage Mm -hmm. per garment. So there's that cost, right? So it's like all these like little things that add up that make it a lot harder for a brand to put out from extra small to three, four, five X, like it's just a lot of work. So if you are fast fashion, you're not going to want to do that for every single style. So I get it. But I also think that there is opportunity. And even if it's not like, like a plus size for, or petite size, tall size for everything, like make it like a, you know, a good amount of your products. It Mm. shouldn't really just be one, which honestly I was on H&M's website. They had up to three X. I was like, yay. But it was only for one pair of pants, one style of pants of their millions. <laughs> one pair of pants that was petite plus three X. I'm like, okay. Good I try. Guess <laughs> I guess. Well, speaking of fast fashion, there's a lot more slow fashion and sustainably made fashion companies out there. And I'm so glad that your company aligns with this as well. Can you share a little bit more on why sustainability is so important in the fashion industry yeah definitely like we've seen all those stats about you know poor labor practices Mm. or pollution how the fashion industry is more polluting than like oil and gas and like travel and everything combined right Mm. so we've kind of heard of it and there's a lot of brands that would take this from different points of view like some do a slow fashion so they don't produce as much um, but the price point is a lot higher and then you have people who will kind of bank on one aspect of fabrication so like oh we only do recycled the way that girlfriend collective and some mm-hmm. other brands do it right mm-hmm. so everyone has their different take on sustainability so how i approach it is i take it from how things have survived in my closet and I so I come from like you know a couple of decades of shopping being a crazy shopper and seeing what really works for me at least and I'm very low maintenance so for things to live in my closet for a long time it has to be easy to wear easy to maintain Mm -hmm. so my definition of sustainability is to really like it's longevity is to keep things in your closet as long as you can because the stats that I've read and I feel like totally make sense is the most sustainable thing is not to produce a new garment because that takes a lot of time and energy and water right so you can have something made like you can buy three eco-friendly things or you can just not buy anything new and just wear what's in your closet that's mm-hmm. probably the best thing you can do so when the three r's of recycling you think about it's reduce reuse and recycle recycle comes last reduce is the first one right mm-hmm. gen z is all into reusing and like resale right now but think about all the shipping costs right totally so yeah. i kind of go with like the reduce 
idea and to keep fewer things in your closet for longer to make sure that fabric is durable styles are timeless using fewer chemicals and mm-hmm. one thing it's a more user-friendly kind of thing is as women age the biggest change in our bodies is on the waistline so my goal is to have whether it's elastic waist or wraparound waist or an extra tie for waist definition so women can have clothes that slightly adapt. I don't need my shirts or dresses to be worn five different ways, but I need to know that it's not constricting. So that's what lasts in my closet. And for mm-hmm. fabrics to not wrinkle super easily, like I'll deal with uh, iron, but not like you sit down and like, oh shit, <laughs> like you've got to iron this now. Can't even like get to my office because I have to sit in my car and it's wrinkled. Yeah. Right. So those are the things I'm thinking about. So in terms of sustainability, I will definitely choose a polyester over a natural fiber if that means it's easy to wear and it doesn't require a lot of maintenance and you will get so much more use out of it than something that's like really finicky and has like really, it's really high maintenance. So that's where I come from when I think of sustainability. So my designs, my fabric choice, everything is kind of based on this idea. Amazing. I definitely align with that as well. I would like to shop in my own closet. I love yeah. the clothes they wear, but I want them to last. I don't want to have to iron them. And I want them to be versatile for all different kinds of occasions. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> definitely. I definitely agree. I prioritize my self-care and I'm not afraid to talk about it. Esmeralda is a Vancouver sex toy brand and they hustle hard to create a space where all voices are heard and find sexually fulfilling experiences. I absolutely love their mini vibrators. Seriously. This thing is the size of my thumb. It is super quiet and so, so powerful. It even comes in a bunch of different colors and it's super cute. What really gets me going is how much Esmeralda cares for their community and shows up to create inclusive spaces for everybody. I know that when I'm supporting this woman-owned business in Vancouver, I'm not only supporting a friend, but I'm supporting Vancouver Pride and different sexual health and wellness events, and so, so much more. Support our episode sponsor and get your buzz on at esmeraldashop.com. Our special promo code MAGICHOUR will get you 15% off on your next purchase. That's esmeraldashop.com. As you're building your company, as you're starting to define your collections, where are you finding inspiration for these new designs? So I like to see what's worked in my closet, like I mentioned, but also to follow like overall macro trends. Like I'm not following trends season by season because that's really like not what shortlisted is about. Like it's really like not trendy in that sense. But let's say everyone likes high-waisted pants for a while. Like that lasts for quite a while, right? And then now for jeans, like skinny jeans has been around, you know, for millennials for, you know, oh, we've loved 20 them years. I don't know. It's been a while, right? So now it's it's transitioned over, right? So for trends like that, I will be like, okay, if it's going to last for over 10 years, like, yeah, okay. But not like from season to season, like hand to mm-hmm. color of the year. I'm not following those kind of things. So okay. I can apply like styles that work, but always making sure that it's user-friendly and it's easy for people to wear. So as long as it kind of hits those notes and it's versatile, then it's something that I will consider. And also in terms of production, like I apply these same principles to production because if you have an overly complicated garment, then it takes up a lot more yardage or it's it just like wastes a lot of more resources for people so i try to keep the designs simple enough that when it goes into production it's not finicky i'm not dealing with errors and issues and things like that so just to try to like simplify things like basically my philosophy my whole life has been like to try to get the biggest bang out of your buck so that's what i apply so (laughs) great philosophy for sure I really appreciate that you have a marketing brain and that you're you're so focused on ideas and concepts. And then you're coming into a whole new world. You're learning all of these new things. You're training yourself. You're dipping in, really, you're jumping in, really, into the idea of being an entrepreneur and getting there. How has that affected this journey as a marketing brain? What are you seeing as you jumped into the business side? Oh, my goodness. It's been quite a struggle because... 
when I was just doing marketing, it was so easy to be like, oh, I don't know why people don't care about marketing so much, <laughs> right? Like you're just in your own little bubble. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, why is finance always on my case? <laughs> Stuff like that, right? But then now that I have to like basically wear everyone else's hats, oh my goodness, like it's just, you kind of understand where all your past managers and employers and everyone comes from. So it's a lot to take. And one other reason why I've been building this business so slowly is because like every time you transition, there's that, like when you go from computer to my sewing table to, you know, looking at numbers, yeah. it's a big switching cost. So that's the reason why it's taking so long. But also it's been good to learn all these different aspects. Marketing is definitely still at the heart of everything that I do. I always think like, is this going to be media friendly? How am I going to launch with enough validation? Like, or am I just going to launch to nobody potentially, right? But I'm always like trying to think about these things. So marketing is at the heart of all my thought processes, but to have to learn sewing for the whole year, that was pretty brutal. And even now to go back to the sewing table, like there's this big mental block sometimes like, oh, I don't want to do this. This is so hard. When I'm doing it, it's fine, but yeah. it's the idea of switching. So I think that's why it's really important for business owners to know what they're good at and then like outsource, but also to know enough. That's why I think it's also important to, for marketers in particular, because you are basically selling, right? Like you're selling the if not like getting sales of quantities, you're selling the idea of this brand. I feel like you need to understand the product, how it's made. Because when I was, you know, in-house, so many times salespeople would be like over-promised things and then we'd have to scramble and figure it away or operations would have to. And then there's all this like, you know, infighting. So I think it's really important as marketers now to at least get a sense of what other departments are facing and really just to have that empathy and so even if I don't end up making my, all my, you know, sewing all my work or samples and stuff, like at least I know the thought process of what it takes to do it. So then you could communicate on a way different level. And it's just like seeing people, right? Just seeing people and the difficulties they face and being human about it. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate that idea of being human in business, being empathetic to all different areas and all different people. You have no idea what they're going through. Definitely is a bonus, I think, in your journey and will definitely help you go very far. So as we were learning more about your background and all about how you've been working in marketing in different in-house agencies, have you had this pull to work in fashion and design as well at the same time? I did. So when I started out my journey, um, the first marketing job I had was as a fashion marketer at a local Vancouver clothing brand that no longer exists. And then I remember, you know, in one of the many interviews they made me go through, they said like, what were your goals, right? And so I said like, oh, I would like to have my own business one day. And it's it, the idea was always like a clothing business. And then I think as I was going through other different industries and not fashion, like I would, I would work really hard and I would try to get my ideas through and try to make things like always very customer centric, but because of like deadlines or finances or whatever, that's not always going to be the case. And I started to feel a little jaded because I felt like companies don't really care about their customers at the end of the day. And that really bothered me. Mm. And so I'm like, just sketch on the side of my desk, like anywhere there's downtime or I had ideas, not so much like designs, but like ideas of things I wanted. And so it got to a point where like, I was like, oh my God, it's been like 10 years and so many of these like books, like this is making me feel really bad because it was like a reminder of like, you still haven't done this. You still haven't done this. You still haven't done this. So I was just like, kind of glad that the pandemic hit because then that really kicked my butt. It's like, <laughs> now or never, do this now. And so like a lot of other people during the pandemic, they kind of change course of what their calling was and I always felt very entrepreneurial and would have been completely happy if someone had allowed me to be like an entrepreneur and like mm. express ideas and try to like get things done or kind of like an in-house consultant totally but that wasn't really the case like never worked out that way so I'm kind of glad that I never really got anywhere with that because then I wouldn't be on this journey now yeah, you're here. You're here for a reason. Yeah. I brought you to this point, which is so nice. I'm sure when even in six months from now, you're going to look back and have such a rewarding and joyful process about all of these different things that you've been a part of. Mm -hmm. 
as you said, marketing is at the heart of everything that you're doing. And you're really having this thought process in all of your different major business choices. How did you go about the process of branding your company and focus on being more brand centric? I realized that there's different ways to approach it, right? Like traditionally fashion brands have been design led. So you go to fashion school for four years. You really want to make a name for yourself. Your brand would be your name, Calvin Klein, Mm -hmm. Donna Karen, Mm -hmm. Alexander McQueen, right? And then some companies that I work for, non-fashion companies are very sales driven. So the sales team led all the choices. Mm -hmm. I didn't love that. No, Um, it's very hard. (laughs) Yeah. So when it kind of came to like the mid 2010s, when D2C brands were really having their time, like Glossiers and Away, the luggage company, like that was a big inspiration for me. So I kind of like took one of their online courses and figured like, oh, this is what I want to be. I've always like thought like this, but it was just like, she put it into a course form (laughs) and made it like more legit. And yeah, I, I just thought that the brand is the most important thing because from if you have a strong brand you can branch into different categories and you could take those brand values and create different things so like i think design is super important as well like i look out for you know design through clothing when i was younger and then as i got older retail design like all that matters but i feel like that matters because of who you're serving and how you want to make them feel and that comes from like a marketing branding point of view uh, you could approach us so many different ways right or you could just hire everything out and not but i also think i came across this uh, piece of advice where like you can hire things out but the things that you want to keep like from your heart or like it, it you can't take away from brands is the branding design and product development because that way you can iterate really fast according to who you want to serve. So those things you should kind of have in-house. And so that's what I did. So that's why I took the technical design for a year. That's why the branding, even though I can like hire people out, like I oversee a lot of the things. Mm-hmm. And like for website right now, for logo design, like there's a certain way I want to look that someone who is like equally, if not more creative, won't be able to get because you know, they don't have your vision. And so, yeah, right now the hard part for a brand centric company is how well can you communicate that brand for everyone to help you get the look, feel experience that you want. Otherwise, yeah, you can hire it out. That's not a problem. But I think there was this other quote that I have stickied on my wall, but it's not in front of me right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that if you don't know where you're going, any path will lead you there. So yeah, that's why I'm like, no, I, I have a vision. It might not be clear, but I have to keep like chipping away like a sculpture. Mm-hmm. I think it's totally fine to work with other people on your branding, but being very involved in that process yeah. is so important. And of course, I think the biggest brands, the biggest ones out there are the ones that are aligned with their values and are deeply yeah. rooted in intention. And because everyone can see it. Consumers yeah. can see it, we all can see it, and we relate to this more, and we want to be a part of that journey. So that's super important, absolutely, in that branding piece. I think oh. it's... Another thing I thought about was, like, because I was debating how to launch for the longest time, and, like, mm. should I do crowdfunding campaign or this or that? And my business coach, she brought up a good point. She said, well, if the design fails or people don't like the design for whatever reason, they might still give you money for the idea of the brand. So that's why that's more Mm. more important to my point of view. Like Mm. if they're just kind of going to wait, like maybe you're just going to put out tank tops for summer, but they're like, I don't like showing my arms, right? They're going to wait and wait and wait until you do a style that they like, and then they'll spend the money or they'll like give you money to be like, Oh, you know what? I want to be part of this journey. I want to know that I help kickstart this brand like that was my you know twenty dollars that I gave to that person (laughs) that helped her launch so there's that right like it's the idea of it until you can get it to manifest it's it's basically like trying to get the reality of things and like the vision in your mind to align and make sense absolutely and there's so much to be said about how you said someone who might 
not be interested in tank tops, but they're engaged in your journey. They're connecting to your story. And that's such a huge, important part to really hone in on. So that's a yeah. great perspective. Great advice. <laughs> you know, even like on my Instagram for the past few years, I've been so hesitant because I felt like I was so nowhere yet. I had nothing to show. So I barely posted. But a lot of people followed me just simply based on the idea that I was serving short yeah. women and that I was interested in doing plus size, that it was going to be ethical. I had nothing. I had no, you know how some brands, when they launch, they post a bunch of like inspo photos. I'm not very good at that. So I didn't <laughs> post any of those like, oh, you know, this picture of Hawaii looks like something I would make or like where my audio customer would go, but none of that. Right. So People have no idea what it looked like, yet they still felt because like the concept was there. Mm. Um, I mean, the brand layers on top of that, but the concept was there. And so that's why I think it's super important. Oh, <laughs> well, yes, I totally agree. What are some of the other important aspects of marketing that you've noticed as you're building shortlisted? The thing that I always go back to is I feel like as much as we can do on all these different social media channels, like, you mm. know, back in the day, it was Facebook and then Twitter, now always X, changing. <laughs> <laughs> always changing. There's always a different one. Algorithms are changing. So I'm very old school. I feel like collecting emails is the most important thing that you should do, because if you get social media followers, you have to lead them through this funnel of like six or seven or eight steps until you give them their email. But if you just like mm. go ahead and ask for the email, you might just get it. And that's another thing I follow or like a philosophy that I espouse. It's like, you don't get what you don't ask for. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just like straight up ask people like, do you want to follow my list? And that's how <laughs> I've been able to grow it like very slowly and steadily over the years. And it's kind of like how during the pandemic, digital marketing, it was so hot. You've got a really high ROAS return ad spend, right? Mm. And I talked to some big brands, like the founder of Bloom, you know, like the latte Love. brand. Mm. And then also like Alder, the founder of Alder Apparel. Mm. They do like outdoors gear for women of all sizes. Love them. And they both said like digital doesn't have that high return for them anymore. So mm. they even said like, oh, we were even experimenting with like Canada Post snail mail now. Really? So, That's yeah, interesting. Things are, things are like kind of coming back to like traditional ways of marketing. So that's why it's kind of like having an email address is like your digital mailing address, right? Mm -hmm. Like if something comes to you in the mail, like these flyers that you end up chucking anyways, mm. it still comes to you. You don't really get to like reject that unless you're standing right there and be like, no, don't bother or put up a sign, right? But even then, like if you mail something with your name on it, you're, or someone mails you something with your name on it, you're going to get that. So that's mm -hmm. why I think like collecting emails is like the way to go. And a lot of people still say like they shop from emails and they get the most sales from emails. Totally. Yeah. Social media is super important. And of course, you can have a very large community on social media or throughout people crawling your website that you're retargeting on ads. But when you're directly talking to them in email, you're creating a connection. It feels so much more personalized to the person receiving it, directly getting it. As you said, it's coming to your door. It's coming to your inbox. Yeah. And I can agree that we've seen a lot higher conversion on sales in our email campaigns for our clients. Oh, there you go. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> it can be a slow start to grow your list as you said like not everyone is just jumping on a list but when you provide incentive when you talk about the benefits when you can create a community of people who want to be interested in learning more about you and it can go a long way oh definitely and i think just uh, a note on that is i think we all know as marketers to not like the message is the medium, so you can't have the same content on every channel. And so I tend to keep emails a little bit more personal. I'll share a bit more just because I feel like if you gave me your email address, what you get into return is a bit more intimacy versus like, that's why I don't love posting on social media because anyone can just scan it and like get all this info. Some I might not want to share because I'm in the process of building this I don't want to show you all the behind the scenes stuff if you're mm -hmm. not like, engaged with me so that's why like I keep those like kind of like separate lives separate digital lives 
I love that angle. And I think that's such a great incentive to join your list. If I go sign up for your email right now, what's going to happen? What will I get? I have a welcome series set up. I completely can't remember what's in it, but there's like a three-part thing. Okay, that's and great. Then, Amazing. And then um, for my launch, which will be soon, mm-hmm. I'm always going to reward people who basically like show that loyalty and show that same level of commitment. So people on the email list will get a higher discount rate than okay. just the general public. Mm-hmm. I've seen a brand launch recently, not fashion, just like a brand. And uh, they ended up giving basically like the same rewards for people who put down a $1 reservation to be on their list versus the general public. And because they had this like Facebook group, everyone kept talking about and comparing notes. And they're like, oh, actually, now that after their Kickstarter campaign has ended, the deal on the website is even better than the deal that I got. And I paid this extra $1 for it. Like you can't treat people like that it like I said it just kind of comes down to like how you interact with people and how you know it's like this human thing right like you yes not just in the name of sales like you've got to be mm-hmm. like these are the people who are really committed so they deserve this the general public because they're just coming on in at the end well they didn't have that commitment so it's a different level right there's levels absolutely there are levels and it definitely goes back to I mean, everyone at the end of the day wants to make sales and we all want to have high conversion, but why is your anything? Why is your product? Why is your service the one that you need to choose? And it connects to how you tell your story and all about your branding. I have another question for you. Do you plan on using SMS marketing alongside email or are you sticking solely to email? Right now it's email. I personally like... I think I'll just need to be introduced. Like maybe you can talk me through it. (laughs) But um, I've only ever given my phone number to one brand before. And I thought that was, that was fine. But I'm like, I feel a little bit odd asking someone for their text message. But, you know, maybe you can fill me in later of like the uh, the industry trends with SMS right now. (laughs) Fair. I totally get it. You're a mom of two and you have a very busy life and you're starting a business. Of course, this journey has been going for a little while, but you've had four years of handling the balance. Yes. Is it a balance? How are you doing? No, definitely not. Definitely not. It's, it's always a trade-off. I think the idea of having this perfectly balanced spinning five different plates at once idea is really oh God, no. not possible. Like you've heard all those different things like, there's four burners on a stove, but you can only choose like two or three at a time. Mm-hmm. You can sacrifice sleep or health or time with your kids, your career, like something's got to give. And it's, it's just been like really hard because like the second child now, because I'm farther along in the business and uh, or farther along to launch, oftentimes I will choose like work stuff over spending time with her and it, it's just like different and they're different personalities as well things I was able to do with my older daughter I can't do with her because this one moves around way too much she doesn't sleep when I'm driving or she doesn't like she doesn't like being read to like all these different things that I prefer like she doesn't so it's kind of hard working with her personality as well so yeah I, I think it's just like you gotta take a long-term view on this mm-hmm. and I spoke with someone recently she's like this very renowned career coach and she kind of said like you know it does suck now but like long term wise they're gonna see that you did these things and you kind of like went after what you wanted and these were your values so you're showing them in the process that they can go for what they want as well Mm -hmm. and you might not be making like a lot of money now but then further down the road, like that's kind of the goal. So you have to have like this long-term perspective in it, just like in investing, right? Like pandemic went up and down with everyone's stocks, 2022 sucked, but you can't keep changing. Like you kind of have to have a North Star. And if you have that North Star, it's going to require you to say no. And I think that's why, another reason why it took me so long, because I hated the idea of making decisions. Mm. Like the definition of, decision is there's that decision part which means that cut something off right I couldn't say no to stuff but now I'm like you know what it's 
important. Like the more you stand for something, the more it means you have to say that you don't stand for other things. Mm-hmm. So you've got to like be values online. Like, okay, no, this is what I want. This is how I want my daughters to grow up. And I think this is what they're going to get out of it. And so, yeah, it's not balance. It's choice. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Would you say now that you have your North Star and you have this long-term goal, do you feel comfortable saying no to all of the other opportunities and things that are arising? Or are you still having to take a minute and be like, yes, okay, this doesn't resonate with me. What what does that look like for you? I think it's definitely easier, but it's still hard because I've I've always been a very open-ended person. So I like opportunities and I like things that come my way. So that makes a little bit harder. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to say no to things um but it's just like a muscle that I have to train oh good way of looking yeah. at it I like that do you hear other stories of how hard it is being an entrepreneur do you feel that you are alone in that I definitely like I feel really drawn to ask about other women business owners who have kids because I think that's the hardest one to balance your kids with your work and so I talked to a lot and it's always the same. Like no matter, I'm like, oh, this person's like super successful. Let me ask her. It's always like, uh, I don't know, you know. <laughs> I work with my kid on my lap and my laptop further away. Like it's just like things like that. So like, no one's gonna figure it out. You just have to see what's best at this moment. Amazing. Yes, I think that's a great reminder that nobody has it figured out, and just make the choice that works best for you and what yeah. feels good. Do you have any? hobbies what do you love to do when you're not working or not hopefully turning off your brain a little bit (laughs) I think if you had asked me before I had kids I'd be like I love to go downtown I love to go window shopping I love to work out you know in a studio no not not that is happening anymore (laughs) so the time is really spent with kids trying to fit in at-home workouts Mm -hmm. so just like things I watch off YouTube or off aloe moves yeah I think it's just like the season of my life right now is just very family oriented like this is not going to apply or resonate with everyone if they don't have kids or if their kids are a lot older but the idea of having seasonality in your life that's Mm -hmm. something that I've picked up from a few wise people near me being like the choices that you make now might be different if you had made them like five years ago 10 years ago or future five ten years right so you just gotta see what's working for you right now love that do you have any other advice that you would give to somebody who doesn't feel like they are being represented in stores yeah definitely like I feel like with social media it comes a lot easier to be vocal to ask for things to you know call people out (laughs) like but also to do it if you see like the brand or the company in store too, right? Mm. Like it makes a big difference. Um, Actually, I was at Superstore, you know, I've loved Superstore ever since it opened, which was like eons ago. (laughs) And I've never had such a good experience until like literally like two weeks ago. Okay. And so, okay. So this doesn't have to be like, doesn't like exactly to do with like not being seen but it's just Mm -hmm. the idea of like giving feedback back to people in real life so Mm -hmm. I I got this like um really young guy cashier and I thought it was going to be like this girl so immediately my brain was kind of biased like they were switching on switch I'm like okay this guy looks so cool he's not going to care I'm going to have a terrible experience uh like you know very jaded Mm -hmm. but for the first time in my life ever he handed me the receipt with two hands, wished me a happy holiday. And then for some reason, like it was coming down the conveyor belt, could have just come down the conveyor belt, but he personally handed me my parsley. I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I don't know what's going on. I was so like in shock. <laughs> so I went up to customer service and I told him like, this guy, he's just so good. Like he wasn't chatty, but like he had all, like checked off all the boxes for like really like seeing me as a person mm. so I was so happy about that and he's they're like okay you know what thank you and everything so I feel like things like that where it's like you have a face-to-face touch point it goes really far and hopefully like that message went back to his manager 
and his name's Kyle, <laughs> if he's listening. Um, yeah, I, I feel like there's just so many different like aspects that brands could go into. Like not everyone's going to go into like everything. Not everyone's going to do like a short brand or short line or like a plus size line, but just to like be vocal about it. Or if it really pains you, start your own company. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be everyone, but like having that go through that pain point yourself, you know, at least like a big portion of what people are feeling. You'll be told you are not your customer, but if you're going to scratch your own itch, at least part of it, you're going to be on customer. You're still going to have to do like customer research, talk to people. Once the product is out there, ask for feedback. You still have to do all that marketing stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But at least you have something to start with, have a good reason. I have a good story to tell. So that like, you don't have to go look for something to do like that's already with you and really like by doing that you're kind of showing the world that things can be different and like that yeah. often quoted Gandhi quote like be the change that you wish to see in the world right like yeah. and I found that once I kind of honed in on actually starting the brand and making it so personal to me that I feel so aligned. Like I used to see how other businesses, like they'd get all these awards or they'd have like all these successes and all I could think was like this negative point of view, right? Like, oh, I don't have that. Like I didn't even try it, but I kept thinking like, oh, I don't have that. But once I got aligned with what I want to do, like the change that I want to see in the world, Mm -hmm. all that like melted away. And like, I just see it so differently now instead of like being, oh my God, those founders they're getting all these awards i'm like i'm like oh i didn't know about that award put it on my list of awards to apply yes. like it's just a completely different perspective now it's such a big change oh so, good yeah. there's lots of exciting things coming up for you do you want to share any news with us yeah oh my goodness i mean we went through this whole call i totally didn't i know I didn't like to mention what I'm launching at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm going to be launching something in spring. Um, It's called the Unstoppable Jump Set. Hope, take a guess of what a jump set is. What does that name mean? I'm assuming like a romper or a jumpsuit kind of vibe. Yes. Yes, exactly. So it was actually my creative friend who helped me name shortlisted that came up with that name too. So I'm gonna like really give props to her. Amazing. Get her another bottle of wine. I know. Ten bottles of wine. (laughs) So it's actually like you hit it right on the. I was obsessed with like jumpsuits. So. But the biggest pain point with jumpsuits is like, oh my god, I can't go to the washroom properly. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be naked. I don't want the the jumpsuit to drag on the ground like it's just a little bit of a hassle for the convenience of having the one and done outfit right mm. uh, I couldn't design a jumpsuit that I liked more than something already had in my closet so I just broke it up into two pieces so it's actually very versatile like Whoa. it's got a high waist wide leg pant with a cropped um, tank top so the tank top completely hides the waistband so it looks like like honestly if you look at it from the back it looks like a one-piece outfit. And then you can break it up into two pieces, a style however you want. So it kind of really goes along with the type of sustainability that I want. I want like this closet sustainability where you can keep your existing items in your closet, add a few things, mix and match style as you want. But if you don't have the brain capacity, you open your book closet in the morning, you think, oh my God, that's what I'm going to wear. It's pre-styled for you. It's put together. It's, you know, you can go to the washroom easily. You can go to business meetings. You can dress it up. You can dress it down. And um, this versatility dress up, dress down piece is kind of like overdone. But when I did my photo shoot, I showed the models my photos and said, bring your own clothes to style with. What? Like literally one dress it up with heels, one wore jeans with it, and wore these like wedge heels. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this works. <laughs> like, oh, this so works. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that'll be launching soon. And then if you join the email list, um, anyone with the email list, like I said, gets a higher discount than when I launch to the public with the full-on campaign video and everything. So um, at least like join the email list to see if you like it. If not, just unsubscribe. Right? Like it's not, <laughs> not, not everything's for everyone. Low risk. Yeah. yeah. Low risk, super low risk. And <laughs> 
the email is at theshortlisted.co. Cool. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful to hear all about your experiences and I really appreciate you sharing and going real deep into all of these different concepts. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Hope. It's been such a pleasure and we'll have to reconnect and you can tell me all about SMS marketing. (laughs) I will. (laughs) Thank you. Tune in to our next episode where I chat with Sid Barr from Say Hey Studio and we chat all about living the remote work-life dream and balancing business while struggling with chronic pain. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Magic Hour podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast to help us grow our community and to get more magical guests right here on our show. The Magic Hour podcast is produced by Madison Allen with editing by Kamika Taniguchi. This show is founded by Hope Michael. Unicorn Marketing Co. is a creative marketing agency that thrives on creating custom solutions for not-so-average business owners. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Hello Unicorn Marketing, and check out our website at unicornmarketingco.ca.